Hello. Hello, I'm Georgia. And I'm John. And today we're going to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. Mmm. Comfort Films Podcast. Season 2. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 67 of Comfort Films Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing the 2013 zombie love story, Warm Bodies. Zombie love story, that's a hell of a mouthful. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Uh, this came out on February 1st, so it was a Valentine's Day-themed kind of film. Give you like a two-week warning, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, that was 10 years ago, if you can believe it. I can't. I mean, time <laughs> flies by so quickly. It does. It you does. Know, when we were kids, the old people would say that to us. Yeah, and, and I just didn't yeah. get it. I was like, no, no, that they were right. I know. Yeah. The old people right now, I'm the old people. It's a weird world, guys. Oh, so, this was based on a book by Isaac Marion that had come out three years earlier in 2010. Hmm. Didn't uh, read it, did I you? have not read it, no. Okay. I probably would have if we'd had some extra time, um, because I do like the story a lot. But no, I had not read it, uh, so it's going on the list of, of to read. Like, the list, like, or the list? The list uh, that I have on Goodreads, which has like a million books that I want to read. And we'll probably die before finishing. So, <laughs> so like a legit list. <laughs> yeah. Not like not like I'll put it on the list. Oh, not like I'm going to watch something that came on Netflix, even though I don't have Netflix. Yes, yeah, yes. No, 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 no. No, okay. no like a real list of books that I actually do want to read at some point. Okay. Um, yeah. So this stars Nicholas Holt and Teresa Palmer. Teresa Palmer was kind of in everything for a little while. Right. She was in that Point Break remake. Yep. She was in Take Me Home Tonight. Oh, wow. Yeah. We enjoy that. And Nicholas Holtz is from About a Boy. He was like the kid in that. Yep. And he's Nux from Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. We love this guy, actually. Yeah, he's everything. so good. He's so good. And he's super great in this, too. He was Young Beast in X-Men. Yes. yes. Yep. I loved him in that. I love him in everything. I honestly can't think of a time when I haven't liked him. If he's done something, I pretty much would watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just wanted to get something going a little bit different, but also the same this week. <laughs> yeah, because, obviously, a zombie love story we haven't done before. No. But we have, as recently as last week, done a Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, and that is what this is, at least at some level. Um, a Romeo and Juliet retelling with the zombie. Well, it's kind of like Pride and Prejudice. And zombies. Right. Yes, yes I was yes. just thinking the same thing. And we did Pride and Prejudice too, but without the zombies. So, you know, finally we're bringing in zombies. It's time. <laughs> it's been too, you know, it's been a long time. 66 episodes, no zombies. Come Where have they been? I don't know. We do love zombie movies, though. Oh, yeah, they make me laugh. So, you know, more to come, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got a few in the pocket. You know? Yeah, exactly. But it's funny because I guess I didn't initially realize that this was a Romeo and Juliet story. I didn't either. Because of the ending not being, you know, dead teenagers. Mm. I don't know how it's possible for a zombie movie to be less morbid than the actual Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> but, you know, things kind of turn out at the end of this for R and Julie. Uh, so 100% less dead lovers at the end of this well but i mean that's a whole thing that that i'll get to later yes but there are these really funny things that are like romeo and juliet oh, yeah. that are slyly 
snuck into it. No, there definitely are. There yeah. definitely are. Well, do you want to start there? Sure, sure. If you want to start there, let's go for it. So, obviously, R and Julie, the yes. names, you mm-hmm. know. Um, there are other names as well. So Perry. Like Perry, Paris, yep. Mm-hmm. And Nora is kind of like the nurse. She is the nurse. And she becomes the nurse at the end of the movie. Yeah, she says she wants to be a nurse. She says that she wants to find a cure, right? And, I mean, we have the balcony scene, and the nurse is there. You know, we have the nurse and Juliet scene. You know, it's it's like they, they have it. And, again, another nurse clue. I wish we still had the Internet so I could find out what's wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, it's a paraphrase, but that's, you know, that's the gist of it. Yeah. Yeah, the nur- Nora Nurse is a great character. I'm really glad that they transported that character into this kind of setting. And then, of course, uh, the amazing Rob Corddry, always yes. funny and inappropriate and everything. Um, playing M, who later becomes Marcus, and is really like my number one favorite Romeo and Juliet character, Mercutio. Same here. Yeah. Same here. I wanted, like, I think I told you this, like, I wanted to be Mercutio. I auditioned for the play. The director brought me in, and he told me, um, you got Romeo. And I was, I was like, I was bummed out. And he could, <laughs> he could tell. And he knew I wanted Mercutio. And he's like, no, I'm just kidding you. You're Mercutio. I'm like, all right, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Mercutio is easily the most exciting character. Um, and, you know, Shakespeare must have known that because he couldn't give us too much. He had to just have a little bit and then it's over. <laughs> but, I, you know, I'm glad that Rob Corddry's Marcus makes it. You know, to the end, he 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 brings like a lot of humanity to this role, and it's it's just funny and and great. Um, yeah. Well, now I what here's some things that I was looking for that I didn't see, and maybe you saw them. Okay, so the Montagues and the Capulets. So I know we have the zombies, and I know we have the humans, and then we have the Bonies, which is like you know a whole other situation. But I was like, okay, is there a Montague and Capulet thing? Like, John Malkovich is General Grigio. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Which is not a Capulet thing. I, I don't know. I'm not sure where they were going there. Um, you know, R doesn't have parents, obviously, that we see. So there's really no family for him, apart from the zombies. Yep. Um, but they're just not very Montague-esque either. It's, no. You know, I guess you could make a stretch and say that, you know, the humans are the Capulets and the zombie, non-bony zombies are the Montagues. Yeah. Um, because they are at odds with each other. Well, and they also do have these scenes of them coming together and fighting in the streets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that fight that they have in the lab or the pharmacy at the beginning, that's like, do you bite your thumb at me, sir? Right. Yes. And then they just go in. <laughs> And again, it's it's like truncating the play because we have the actual face-off between you know R and Paris right there in that in that first battle, mm-hmm. you know, and it it really it, it sums up the whole thing because R sees Julie right, and it's so funny because she's just like shooting a shotgun. <laughs> And killing, you know, his fellow zombies. And he's just completely in love, you know, just mouth open. He's having, like, this musical dream, you know. And that's, like, a big thing in this that, 
that will come later. But, you know, he's hearing missing you and he's like, this is it. This is my woman. And then, you know, Perry, you know, attacks him and then he kills Perry. So this is like the tomb, you know, at the end, because we do have that battle. Now, also, we have in this scene, you know, Julie stabs or I don't know if she if she throws a knife or what happens, but yeah, she gets she him right in the heart. Yeah. 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 So it's like it's like, oh, wow. OK. So it's in a way you can see the the death right from Romeo and Juliet. Also, when they decide when R and Julie decide to jump out of the airport, you know, they come out of this this dark, you know, airport where they're they're surrounded by enemies and they decide to jump out into the light. And he sacrifices himself Mm -hmm. because he puts himself down so she can land on that. And then they land, you know, in the water. Um, Again, it's like, oh, okay, this is this is like that that suicide scene because they go for it. And it also makes me, you know, bring in things like Ophelia, you know, because she drowned. Mm Right? That's a whole other story. Well, like, Romeo plus Juliet had, like, the pool thing. Oh, yes, it did. So, and that imprints on your mind a little bit, you know? And the aquarium thing. Yeah. And it's like water is life, but it's also death. And so it's like we have a baptism in that scene, too. Yes, and he comes back to life. It's like he's raised from the dead when he comes out of the water, like a literal baptism. Um, and also, you know, it's a reversal, you know, which is a fun thing to do, I think, when you're, you know, kind of uh, adapting something, is to take what you normally see here, which is death, yeah, and instead, we have somebody who's already dead, and he <laughs> comes back to life at the end when he gets shot. Yes, that is so great. Like, he comes back, it's beautiful, they've kissed, you know, they're in love, he's human again, and then he just gets killed. You know what I mean? I mean, he doesn't literally thank God, because then it would be a miserable movie, but he gets shot, you know, right in the chest. Right, but getting shot instead of killing him proves that he's living again because he starts bleeding. <laughs> yes. So it's just super clever. Like, I was really struck by that when we watched it this time. It's great. Malkovich is like, are you still bleeding? <laughs> yeah. Good. <And> good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this has so many of those of those moments in it. And all of these these characters just fit together so well in this story. I mean, this movie is able to take so many things and fashion them, use them in such a way that it's perfect for the film. Now, what I would like to talk about is the music. The music is integral to this movie. Right. It's huge, and I think that's absolutely a great topic to get to hit on. Okay, so music. So let let's go, let's go from the top. Okay. So music in this film, we see R at the airport. You know, which is it's that is just hilarious in and of itself because they're at an airport. They can literally go anywhere in the world. Okay, they can go anywhere. They can do anything. This is a place associated with fun, vacations, journeys. No, they just stay there. They just (laughs) shamble around in there endlessly. It's miserable. Yeah. Like your favorite guy. The TSA guy. I freaking love this guy. Every time he shows up, I... I remember how hilarious it is and just start laughing because the TSA guy is still being a TSA guy. 
<laughs> he still has his like security wand. And as anyone walks through security, he, he waves it in front of them, checks them. That's just hilarious. Because, again, there's like a whole um, metaphor here about mindlessness yes. and being a zombie, um, which we can get into a little bit more as well later. Um, but it's just, again, like that's just one of these jobs where you're just like, yeah, yeah. You know, you're just... <laughs> checking in person they go through you know so he's doing this repetitive motion that he did in life and it, it's very funny it's well it's almost like uh, it reminds me of land of the dead because i think that was the first thing i thought of because i remembered the zombies in that like doing their same activities as when they were alive i'm sure it's happened in other zombie films but i love that yeah. i love that it's so funny so the music so R is like, you know, looking around and he's like, what am I doing with my life, basically? And we hear Sitting in Limbo from Jimmy Cliff. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Because it's just like you're, you're, you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. Again, this is an airport. You're supposed to be going somewhere. You are not going anywhere. And then he starts to look around and he starts to like daydream about what these people must have been like when they were human. You know, and the film goes into that sepia tint. Yeah. Makes you think of, like, the good old days, you know, like some rustic photographs, yeah. you know? Like, that. it reminds me, actually, of a, a picture from when I was a kid at an amusement park that I took with my parents. We were all dressed up, like, from the 1800s. That's wonderful. It's really it. good. We it's should really do good. that. Oh, I'd, oh, we should definitely. We should do that. We should definitely do that. That'll be hilarious. Yeah. It. So, here's the lyrics. And I'm going to be doing this a bunch of times because I was like, oh, That's my so God, good. they fit so well. So here it is. Part of sitting in limbo. Sitting here in limbo, but I know it won't be long. Sitting here in limbo like a bird without a song. Well, they're putting up a resistance, but I know that my faith will lead me on. And it's an interesting song to, to put in because this is a song about I'm trapped but the, the undercurrent of the song is, I think it's going to work out. Like, I think there's going to be something else. And for the zombies, I, I don't feel that there's hope. I don't feel that there generally is hope either. Um, but I feel that R is different. Yes. Like, from the beginning, R is different. And it's really appropriate that Sitting Here in Limbo is the song because it's not just that he's stuck, but it's also that he's stuck between. Yes. So it's like, he's not exactly super dead, like a bony, mm -hmm. but he's also not alive. And he's kind of in between and he's waiting for the time when that will change. Um, and you know, the whole thing with R is that he's the thinker, right? Like, yeah. One of my favorite, favorite parts of this is really just the opening lines of the movie um, where he's doing this voiceover that is hilarious. Um, and he says, what am I doing with my life? I'm so pale. I should get out more. I should eat better. My posture is terrible. I should stand up straighter. People would respect me more if I stood up straighter. What's wrong with me? I just want to connect. Why can't I connect with people? Oh, right. It's because I'm dead. I shouldn't be so hard on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I 
And basically, it's just like being a zombie for R is just like being stuck in like this overthinking anxiety where like you want to be different, but you don't know how. And he's just looking for a way to break out of that. You know, he's not like the other people, though. He has his little plane that he lives in. And he's got it all stocked up with things he likes. He listens to music in there, you know. And and we see from the beginning that this is a special person. He's not just like everyone else. No. But he is afraid of actually going the other direction, becoming a bony. Like, he has no thought in his mind of, hey, I might, you know, become human again. But he is afraid that all he has to look forward to is eventually becoming a bony. Bonies have no humanity. Everything is gone. Physically, there's nothing to suggest that there ever was a living being. It just looks like some kind of creature you would find in a dungeon in a video game. I kill a lot of these in (laughs) Dragon Age Inquisition, so yes, I agree. So you know what we're talking about. I mean, I played Dark Souls, got terrified and quit. But there were things like that in there, you know, in the the 20, 30 minutes I played. If if anybody plays Dragon Age Inquisition, the bonies look like they're from Fallow Mire. So, yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. In Fallow Mire, if you walk into the water, all of these zombie creatures start coming out. And they're kind of like bonies. They're like skeletons with a tiny extra bit of meat on them. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I have to look at that next time you're playing. I, I want to yeah. see these. I'll go to Fallenmeyer later. It's All right. Good. That sounds fun. Check it out. Yeah, that's a good, it's a good time. Well, it's you also have, you know, so you have these bonies, which are bad, right? They're absolutely bad. There's nothing left. And then, you know, we have the humans. So General Grigio, I mean, he isn't really that human you know he doesn't have any feelings with his daughter he is a guy that is just so angry and so gone you know it's just like you can tell that there was a human there once but that human no longer exists there's only hate contempt suspicion you know just a war this is a guy that i think if there was no more war you know at the beginning of this film between the zombies and the humans, I don't think he would know what his place was in the world anymore. Yeah, I mean, well, that was one thing I was interested in this time that I really noticed is that neither of these factions are actually living. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, the zombies are literally dead with no heartbeats, Mm -hmm. but the humans are kind of in a suspended animation as well. I mean, yes... They're conscious, they're living and breathing technically, but there's no advancement. They're just stuck in this limbo again between the apocalyptic end of the world and some sort of event that can kind of, you know, hit the advancement button again because nothing's happening. They're just surviving. That's all they're doing. They're not living. There's no vitality they're just surviving, and they're fighting to survive. That's the only thing that they're doing. Well, and we have a joke, again, at that opening lab pharmacy scene where we have the first battle that we see between the humans and the zombies where someone actually picks up Prozac, mm-hmm. you know, and said, yeah, this will make you feel better. It's Nora. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, it's of course, it's Nora. She's Nora. a nurse. Nora's the greatest. Or yeah. to be a nurse, but she is a nurse, yeah. Um, that's That's really... 
that's really something. And it also, we have in that same scene, there's one of the humans that's on the ground just playing like this first person shooter. And it's like, I'm on level five, man. <laughs> yeah, and then he gets killed. Right. And it, it's, it just shows you that like there's no thought about like killing. Like there's no thought about anything. And well, it speaks to, there's, yeah, people aren't alive. Yeah, and that's what we see with Perry when we go into like the flashback scenes. That Perry kind of did have an interest in life and like a spark in him. But then when his father was zombified, yeah, um, it went away. And he kind of started becoming a version of Grigio and kind of was a shell of who he had been. Um, you know, before he said there was that nice scene with him and Julie where she's talking about planes and that she misses it. And he's like, oh, I like that you remember all these things, you know, and how important that is. Mm -hmm. But it just goes away. Like once he experiences his father's death, he's done. He's he's done. And that's what exactly what happened to Grigio. His wife turned into a zombie. He had to kill her. And he's done now. There's nothing in there. Well, also with Perry, his father tries to attack him. Yeah. And that, I mean, that scene really gets me. Because you put yourself in that position of, you know, seeing a loved one, one of your parents. Ooh, yeah, you know, I, yeah, very hard. Yeah, very hard. Is, uh, Dave Franco, mm -hmm. who I'm used to seeing in more funny roles. Same. But he's really good here. Like, you definitely see the change between who he is before that and who he becomes after. Yes. And, and they do a great job of utilizing everything and you know it's the music and it's the lighting and again it's so hard i'm trying to section it off and i'm like ah i'm juggling it all at once okay so i'm gonna go back to the it music it all fits really well together and that's the problem that trying to focus on one thing at a time is nearly impossible so don't feel bad okay so the next thing that i've got is missing you which we've already talked about and this is the song that our hears when he sees Julie for the first time. And this is also the song that we hear the first time we go into his plane, his home. And, you know, it's like the whole plane is just dark, right? It's shadowy. And then, you know, on the record player, this record actually has light on it, you know? And you're like, oh, wow. So it gives you, again, the idea that there's some hope, there's some light in the darkness. And the song Missing You by John Waite you know, very popular 80s song. And it's all about being in this this depression over a breakup and just trying to seem okay when you're not okay at all. And there, again, are these lyrics in here which are just so good for this movie. So here are some selects from Missing You by John Waite. So one of them is, and there's a storm that's raging through my frozen heart tonight. Oh, wow. Right? That's one. Appropriate. And Yeah, incredible. Next. In your world, I have no meaning, though I'm trying hard to understand. And it's my heart that's breaking down this long-distance line tonight. Number two. Number three. And there's a message that I'm sending out, like a telegraph to your soul, and if I can't bridge this distance, stop this heartbreak overload. So that's kind of like foreshadowing later when he's, you know, going back to try to get to Julie. That's awesome. It's I, that's what I'm saying. Like when I looked at the lyrics to these songs and I did it, I did it with some, not all. But I'm just like, these people really just took it and fit it together 
perfectly because there's so much to do with, you know, they can't feel anything, the zombies, right? Yeah. They can't feel temperature. Temperature is another major theme in this. You know, they, they can't feel anything. You know, when he, he gets stabbed in the chest by Julie, R. that is, you know, he doesn't feel anything. There's no blood. There's nothing. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there's no sign of life. And then, okay, now this one's pretty funny. So when Julie is actually on the plane later, okay, and R, you know, puts on Guns N' Roses, mm -hmm. okay, what R says to Julie first is, don't cry, okay? And then he puts Guns N' Roses on the turntable. So that's a joke right there to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Because he references a Guns N' Roses song. Which is on a different album, though. So. Yeah, it is, but still. It's still okay. I'll allow it. <laughs> they, they represent all the Guns N' Roses. <laughs> Appetite for Destruction's actually in his uh, stack of records. I mean, he's got a near-mint vinyl of lies, though, so that's pretty sweet. Yeah, he, he did really well there for himself. <laughs> so he goes ahead, and he puts Patience on. And when he puts Patience on, this is when we see R's heartbeat for the first time, and we don't know how long. And we have the lyric, there is no doubt you're in my heart now. <laughs> and so again, you're like, oh my God, heart. You know, and it's like, it's like he's feeling this love. You know, he's feeling these feelings with Julie, like he couldn't speak. You know, we saw him with M at, you know, the airport bar, and they can't really talk. They can get out, like, one word, like, they can hungry. grunt at each other, he says. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want to bring up Patience again, that in this scene, this is when, you know, he's still trying to draw her out. Because basically what's happened before this is that he kind of put blood on her so that everybody would think she was a zombie. Also, it's kind of like a zombie baptism, if we're going back to that again. True. Yep. And then he brings her back to his plane to hide her and keep her safe, but she's terrified. So this whole process of them getting together, he needs a little patience. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That That's good. That's, yeah, I've been walking these streets at night. Just trying to get it right. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to see with so, so many. many around. Yep. You know, I don't like being stuck in the ground. The streets don't change, but maybe their names. I ain't got time for the pain or the games. For the games, I uh, think. I always thought it was pain. Let, let's just, let me just say that. Sometimes there's a song lyric that you feel you're mishearing is better than. Right. I've had that before. Because I need you. Yeah, yeah. I need you. Mm. I need you. Wah. I need you. This time. <laughs> so that's, I mean, you know, so I mean, if we go through all the patients, you know, it's, it's really, you know, again, it's just this perfect fit, you it's know, with the song. Fit. And the song is just great. So that's the other thing. Like I have like nostalgia memories of a lot of these songs too. So, Absolutely. you know, they're thematically appropriate, but they also kind of hit you in this like, subconscious zone yes where it just makes you feel happy and good and warm warm oh, like okay. bodies wow i like that you said the temperature is a big deal in this because it's even in the title yes it's oh my god temperature like i have a whole temperature <laughs> thing again i'm trying to like you're split gonna do it a whole segment on <sighs> that. Yeah. i'm gonna do a ted talk on <laughs> each piece of this you know, uh, so that's me. So the next one, okay. Now this one, okay. 
Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. And that's a pick that Julie makes and puts on the record player. Mm -hmm. So let's take a look at these lyrics. Got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. I went out for a ride and I never went back. Like a river that don't know where it's flowing, I took a wrong turn and I just kept going. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you play your part. Everybody's got a ha-ha-hungry heart. <laughs> Next part of this. I met her in a Kingstown bar. We fell in love. I knew it had to end. We took what we had and we ripped it apart. Now here I am down in Kingstown again. Next part. Everybody needs a place to rest. Everybody wants to have a home. Don't make no difference what nobody says. Ain't nobody like to be alone. Mm. So, again, we've got our whole story. Because, I mean, we have this whole piece at the airport where R and Julie are driving around, you know, in the car, right? And at first, you know, it's like he doesn't even remember how to drive. Mm -hmm. She has to teach him how to drive again. You know, she has to teach him how to be a human again, honestly. And her, her presence does that for all of the zombies, which is incredible. But, you know, it, it is like that because for her, for Julie, she went out on this supply run, right? And it's like, you know, she ended up separated from her people. Her longtime boyfriend is killed, right? Yeah. So it is like she went out for a ride and she never, she never went, went back. back. Yeah. It, you know, and, and again, the fact that she's the one that picks that record is freaking awesome. Right. And, and then I met her in a Kingstown bar. He gives her a beer in the plane. That's true. <laughs> right? And he watches her drink it. She's loving the beer. Oh, my God. Well, and I feel like he's trying to remember what it was like, and he's trying to experience th this moment with her. We took what we had, and we ripped it apart. I mean, that that's pretty straightforward. I mean, that's something where, you know, they, they have this relationship, and then she finds out that, you know, he killed Perry, right? Mm -hmm. And she said that she, she knew or she thought she knew... But she just was trying to pretend it didn't happen or hope it didn't. But he felt the need that he had to be open with her yeah. so that they can move forward. Now, one thing that he doesn't discuss, which I feel is maybe a bit of a gray area ethically, is that, to my remembrance, he never talks to her about the fact that eating somebody's brains gives you their memories. I don't recall that either. So, basically, by eating Perry's brains... <laughs> He's experienced a relationship with her in the past. Yes. He knows her, you know, on a different level than she realizes he does. Mm -hmm. So, again, moral gray area there. <laughs> I love that she keeps saying gray area, and then you talk about... Gray matter. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's, like, it, it's That's again... Good. It's right there. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought about that, too. And it's like, I thought about, you know, let, let's talk about the metaphor of eating Perry's brain, Okay. So it's like if somebody would do like a cyber stock of you, like a Facebook stock. It's like if, uh, you know, her friends talked to him about what she was like or he did investigations on his own mm -hmm. to find out what she was like. He's like really digging in. I don't know. He goes into a place that he shouldn't go in because he gets this memory of Perry and Julie having sex in this car. 
And it's this mega vulnerable moment that no one else should be privy to. You know, like, those are the type of things that, you know, you keep to yourself. You know what I mean? Like, you, you wouldn't talk about that. You would tell somebody, oh, yeah, we had sex. It was great. But you're not going to be there. You're not going to feel what that was like. I wasn't sure if sex was heavily implied there or if they were just making out or what was going on. Either way, the assumption has to be that Perry and Julie had been intimate at some point yeah, and that yeah. now R somehow must have access to that information um, through the brain eating. So, yeah, I think that's a little problematic if I think about it too much. So I guess I just try not to think about it too much. He's also, like, always sneaking away to eat the brain. <laughs> it's like he's eating hidden Snickers bars yes, or something. Yes. It's look, it's really it's really funny because it's like, you know, I always feel that when people are in a relationship, they're compared to the previous partner. And there's also I, I feel again in relationships, you know, anybody, you know, that you want to be better than the other one. And so like if you achieve that, you know, you feel pretty good about it. It it's like it's like you're just out in the wild. You know what I mean? You're like, I am the winner, you know? And that's, and it's just so like, just crow magnon. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's just like, I'm just eating your brain, Well, he's just bro. trying to hide that part. Yeah. It's, it's, he knows how gross it is. But like, I didn't really pay attention to this and I should have, but I don't know when is the last time he eats part of the brain. I Wait. don't have the exact moment um, but I do have something that I, I just want to double down on with this memory. Okay, so Perry and Julie are in this car, and it's this beautiful lighting, and it's raining. You know, it's like, you know, warm in the car. And one of the records that R puts on, you know, R puts on Shelter from the Storm. Yeah. When she is thinking about this pain that she had about Perry. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now that, my friend, is like, ooh, you know what I mean? Like, you know a lot, you know? Um, and it's it's a very, I don't know, it's, it's a weird thing. It's like a continuation of her relationship with Perry, but it's through R, so... It's better? Like, I don't know how to explain this. Well, R is certainly a different person than Perry, and I don't really think he uses any special insight that he received from Perry to, like, manipulate her mm -hmm. intentionally. Yeah. Also, I think we have to think about the fact that R is a zombie. Right, so right, right. how much does he know what he's doing? And how much is he operating on, like, instinct? Well, that that is it. it it's like this, this, th yeah, this basic level of existence. Yeah. I remember a friend of mine a million years ago had to write a paper for philosophy class about if man could exist without a brain. Mm. And that, that's what I think about with this. You just have these base instincts, right? You know, and, and you go forward with that. Yeah, and I mean, you could make the argument that he puts on shelter from the storm because he just associates mentally, like, storm, and, like, it's like storm, and then puts on the record, you know. Uh, either way, solid, 
choice. That's my favorite Bob Dylan song. So fantastic support song. This, support this choice. Well, this also goes in with another theme. You know, that's off the album Blood on the Tracks. And Blood is another theme that I'll jump in with in one second. So I, I want to wrap up the, the music. So get this, okay? <laughs> They're in the plane, okay, R and Julie. And R just kind of sits back in one of the first-class chairs, and she asks, what are you? And him sitting back in the chair, it, it's very funny because I feel like this is very smart musically, this movie. It's like he's a passenger, mm. like Iggy Pop, the passenger. <laughs> passenger, yeah. I am the passenger. I ride and I ride. You know, yeah. it's just like you're just going through the motions. So I was like, wow, okay, pretty good, pretty good. We also have, you know, these are more overt. So when R has his makeover later, Nora puts on, you know, Pretty Woman. You know, it, it, right? We get it. And then Julie makes her, you know, change it. <laughs> right. Right? And so then we get M83's Midnight City, you know, which is so good. It's a wonderful song. You and I oh. were obsessed with the song when it came out. So, yeah, whenever I hear this one, I'm just like, yeah. Because the, just the, the opening sound of that song is so great. It's in the saxophone solo just sends me into heaven. It's amazing. And then he has the shower, you know, which again, we're doing our baptism. He's becoming more human again. Throughout the film, we see this progression in humanity and not only our, but in the other zombies as well. So it, it's it's something, you know, that, that we see and it's like, oh, okay. And I feel like after he gets out of the shower and they put the makeup on him, he kind of looks like, like uh, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust era. Yeah, I see it. I mean, it's really funny, that scene, once they have this makeup on him, and he's, like, walking around and trying to be normal. <laughs> and they're going to see the father, and he's like, say something normal, say something normal. And he just looks like a doofus, and the guy just thinks he's an idiot. So that's <laughs> amazing, and I love it. I, I, think that that's, I think that that's really incredible, too. So, okay. Blood. Here we go. So Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks. Romeo and Juliet, where civil blood makes civil hands unclean. Okay? And there is blood throughout this entire film. You know, I mean, we have, as you mentioned, when R puts the blood on Julie to bring her into the zombies, we have blood. Gross, like motor oil type blood. <laughs> right? So it's like we have that. And we also have, of course, you know, our eating Perry, right? We have the brains. We have the blood there. We also have the memory of Perry getting punched and the blood there. Mm -hmm. Like blood is a real theme in this. And again, the blood at the end where he gets shot and mm -hmm. the blood proves that he's living again. Yeah. So it, it's like blood is a major theme that flows through this. You like oh, that? No. Flows through this. Congratulations. That was awful. <laughs> Congratulations, John. Well, and I think also the bonies are decidedly bloodless. Mm. When we see that guy at the beginning who's turning into a bony, I'm assuming he's turned into a bony. He like rips his skin off his face. Oh yeah. And he just looks kind of 
Like, there's no bleeding involved in that. There's no blood or fluid. It's like the the bonies are, like, desiccated and dry. Like, there's no blood in them. So, I do think blood is important here. I think you gotta follow the blood. <laughs> you gotta follow the blood trail, you know? It's like you're, yeah, it's like CSI. You're like, follow the blood. And, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, blood here is a symbol of life, quite frankly, okay? Bonies don't have any. The zombies have it, but it's sluggish, slow, it's going away, it's drying up, it's losing its vibrancy, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And basically, the zombies... (laughs) Are kind of like a metaphor for like ennui, right? They're just, you know, I think that what's important in that scene that we talked about quickly earlier, where he kind of fantasizes back to when the airport was busy and everyone in it was alive. Yes. People are on their phones, so they're still walking around disconnected from each other, um, like zombies, you know? And I thought it was interesting because... I hear people make this comparison a lot now, 10 years later, but in 2013, I'm thinking, like, were people already talking about, you know, people being addicted to their phones and Mm -hmm. being, like, you know, stuck in their phones? And if so, that's sad that we've been doing this for so long. Um, But, you know, it shows that humanity was in a bad place before this happened. And then when this kind of zombie apocalypse occurred... It just took, you know, the greater portion of people and turned them into this disconnected, closed off, ennui riddled people. And we see through this movie that love and connection is the cure for this. You know, when people start thinking about connecting with each other and love, that's when the heartbeats come and they start living again. Um, And that's really cool Um, because, yeah, I love, I guess I love the metaphorical zombie stuff in this a lot anyway, um, because I love like R as like this anxious kind of stuck in his own head zombie, um, you know, and he's prevented from connecting because of that. Like he desperately wants connection, but he can't. And it takes kind of this crazy bolt of love at first sight to kind of shock him out of where he is you know he you know because he's trying to connect with M and things like this but it's just it's not working well that's a line that the julie says to him when they're in the house right before he reveals that he killed perry she says roughly you try harder than most humans i know (laughs) So it's like it's she can see that he wants to be different. And yeah, the metaphor in this, that runs very deep also. Because I feel like what we're talking about with the zombies is isolation, depression, just completely frozen in your own private hell. Um, you also, you know, you can't sleep. You can't stop thinking. And there's no dreaming. No. That's a big part of it, too. Like, dreaming is such a huge part of the human condition. And this shows that if you've lost the will to dream and the ability to dream, that this is what happens. It's like you you lose your humanity. 
Yeah. And as he becomes more human, one of these things that happens to him is that he actually falls asleep and he dreams. Um, he's been eating brains because it's the closest he can get to dreaming. Right. And then here he actually does dream. And, you know, it, even though it's kind of a bad dream, right? Yeah. Bad things happen in the dream. It's still so amazing that he's been able to dream that it kind of continues to advance his change into a person. Yeah, that's a good point. And then when he meets up with M under the bridge with the crew, you <laughs> know, <laughs> M tells him that he saw pictures in his head. Yes. You know, and that is, again, it's just showing that hope is back, that dreaming is back. Yeah, that's, that's a great scene that I, I definitely want to talk about more. But on the dream point... I very clearly in my life remember talking to someone who was clinically depressed and I said to them, <laughs> why don't you dream about anything anymore? What's the point in dreaming? It's not going to come true. Mm. So it's, it's right there, you know, and it's, again, it's like if you take anxiety medication, right? You're, you're jacked up, you know, you're, you're thinking a lot, you're moving around a lot. Right. If, you know, you can't feel anything, you want to find a way to feel something. So I felt like the brains were like symbolic, like psychedelics, like mushrooms, mm. like, you know, drug, alcohol use, like like heavy because you're you're trying anything and you're just so locked in this. So it's like you have these the, this prescription pill situation happening and then you're supplementing all these other things and you just never feel like it's okay. And again, I mean, you know, you think about, you know, when we were in lockdown, that that's what this made me think about because you're just in this dark room. You're not supposed to go out, you know, you very well, you know, could look pale. You don't feel right. You know, it's like, what the hell is the difference between sleeping and being awake there really isn't any. There isn't really a, a line that divides one day from the next. It, it's just being completely checked out. And I feel that the morning after R tells Julie about Perry, you know, when he wakes up and she's gone, I feel like it's honestly like a, a, a decision for sobriety. You know, it, it's like, you know, he's not going to do this stuff anymore. And, you know, he's going to try and, and, and feel more. And mm -hmm. it's we, we understand how difficult it is for him to feel again, because there, there's a lot of things that he doesn't want to feel. That's the problem with feelings. When the good feelings come, the bad feelings come, too. Yes. If you keep yourself open, then you're open to all of it, you know, and I do think that. R seeks feeling. I mean, I think this is the reason for the music, you know, and even when she asks him about vinyl and why he listens to vinyl. Yes. You know, he says it sounds better, you know. Oh, no, no. It's even better than that. I actually wrote it down because I was like, did he really just say that? What R says is R has vinyl because it's a better sound and more alive. Yeah more alive yeah <laughs> yeah i more mean alive. that's what's funny you know yeah. um and 
he does seek that feeling and he's just a sensitive zombie <laughs> yeah that's you know and you run into him sometimes i mean he's really sad i mean if you take a look at his vinyl again we see Joni mitchell mm. Joni mitchell extremely talented she's great but when i see the name Joni mitchell the first thing i think about is sadness mm. you know i think somebody that's really in touch with with like these blue feelings what's another record that we see now this is very interesting we see guns and roses appetite for destruction <laughs> and what's on there what's on the cover skeletons right so it's like the bonies and the bonies literally do have an appetite for destruction they, do. they just want to destroy everything well something i find interesting at the beginning is when he's talking about the bonies he says that they've given up all hope and that they'll eat anything with a heartbeat. Mm. So even the bonies are looking for a heart, you know, wow. but they're looking to eat it, not to, you know, reactivate it. No, they want to kill. They, they, they want to destroy. Like Search and Destroy would have been the perfect song for the bonies. Oh, that's a good bony anthem. <laughs> You know, and again, Iggy Pop, which I feel might have been a thinly veiled reference, again, with sitting back. What are you? Sure. Uh, but also the zombies have, you know, this appetite for destruction as well. But it, it just, I feel like it hasn't gone to the the bleakest place yet. Like, what they're doing isn't good. I mean, they're feeding off of, you know, destruction. They're They're killing people. You know, they're just taking them down. And there's a cycle, okay? So this is interesting. So when Marcus and the other zombies are at the airport and they're looking at, like, some poster at the airport and, you know, Marcus thinks back to, like, some good times in his life being in a relationship, you know, his heart starts to beat. And, you know, the other zombie next to him has a similar experience because this image generates such good feelings mm -hmm. and he says do you feel it yes to that guy and it's just like oh wow so it's like you know that's happening and as they're really having this change what happens the bonies show up and again i feel like this is something that you can see in depression when people go to make a lasting change they try to move towards the light so to speak you have all these other feelings that want to keep you down that mm -hmm. just charge in and attack and and that's that's what i get from this i really feel that this is like you know the overview of this movie i feel like is a person you know like like grigio who really isn't alive okay and then it's like you have you know the different layers then you have like this this pure zombie layer right that you get when you're at home, which is like listening to Missing You in the Dark and <laughs> just, you know, getting all fucked up and right. And Emoing then, it out. Right. And then you have, you know, this part of you, the, this darkest part of you that just wants nothing but to see the world burn. They want everything to go. And this actually, great segue into the light thing. So temperature and light in this is really huge. So the first thing that we see is we see the airport and that has like this kind of colder blue shadowy light and we see that you know in the cockpit as well so it's like we have the, this heavy feeling we have you know this feeling of of disconnection 
right? And it's like, okay, this is like, you don't really, you don't really feel anything here. When we have, you know, the flashbacks and the memories of Perry, what do we get? Spectacular fireworks. We have that warm yellow light, you know, in the flashback mm -hmm. with Perry and Julie in the car. It's just these beautiful, alive memories, right? Again, the laboratory pharmacy, we have this dark blue, cold light, just like the airport, the airplane, right? Dark, same type of lighting. What do we have that's light? It is the light on the John Waite record. Mm -hmm. You know, that that is the one thing that we've got. And then as we go through the film, right, after R goes through his makeover, and he's with Nora and Julie, and they're going to talk to General Grigio. When we go through the humans' camp at that point, it is a terrifying place. We have these glaring spotlights. It looks like a prison. Again, we've got this cold blue light. You know, you see people like around a, a burning, you know, fire in a can and people holding their kids. It, it looks like it looks like a war-torn nation. Yeah. It looks really awful and so you see once again there's not you know that much of a difference between these people that, that are that are fighting with each other and again like we talked about earlier when r and julie jump out the window right at the airport into the pool what do we have we have this gorgeous sky we have this perfect weather it's the absolute best day you've ever seen mm -hmm. And then from there on in, which is wonderful because we get a happy ending, which I'm a sucker for, you know, <laughs> everything looks great. Yeah. You know, so it's like they, they have that, you know, and also temperature drives the story forward. That That is a gauge to know that we have our doing better. Well, right? he goes from being kind of blue tinted mm -hmm. even yeah. to having like a warmer skin tone. I mean, I thought that, again, that I, I would just have to say this is a huge win for makeup and for continuity yeah uh, that he has like this stepped approach to becoming more human where they go from him being very pale very blue tinted to being you know really human looking by the end yeah but it's so incremental and it's so well done that you see like every time he becomes a little bit more human you see just this tiny little change and, I mean, I'm guessing they didn't shoot it in order, so somebody did a really good job of making sure that the gradation of his makeup, you know, went up like that and was so flawless. It's absolutely spectacular. At the end, when you realize when he's sitting on the bridge with Julie, he doesn't have any scars anymore. Yeah. All of that is gone. Everything has healed. You know, they, they just do a great job in this film with, with showing, you know, that change. And also, it's like, I thought about Shaun of the Dead a little bit. Because oh. when we see R and Marcus, you know, at the airport bar. And, like, you know, they're grunting. There's not much. And I love it because it's just like, you know, guys could really have these low-level discussions just like this, <laughs> honest to God. You know, R is, like, hungry. And then Marcus is like city yeah. and then they get the guys and then they roll into town. But what it makes me think about with, with that kind of, you know, interaction is that they always do the same thing. I'm sure their interaction is always that simple. Hungry, city, get the guys and go. And it's just like Shaun of the Dead where everything led back to the Winchester. <laughs> you know, great. you want to grab a pint? You know what I mean? That's. 
Let's go down to the Winchester. <laughs> and the best part of that is they're at the bar yeah. when they decide that they're hungry and they, they need to go yeah. to the city. I love it. That's so great. Shaun of the Dead is awesome. We'll do that. We'll do that soon. Absolutely. That's a little bit of a zombie love story as well, but it's more of a bromance. Yeah, definite bromance. So in terms of the change, from the second that R meets Julie, he's able to use words, which is not something that's very easy for him. He's able to say Julie, right? And then when they get on the airplane, he actually gives her a blanket to stay warm, you know, and be comfortable, even though he has no feelings of his own. Yeah. Right? So it's like he wants her to feel comfortable. Sensitive zombie again. (laughs) Again, it's really good. (laughs) Well, and he also brings that snow globe. Yes. And that, again, is also, you know, that's foreshadowing. Well, she makes fun of him for being a hoarder. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and again, a lot of depressed people are hoarders. Which is, see, again, it's all like, again, they did such a good job with this. But yeah, the snow globe actually is foreshadowing because you see... The, a man and a woman on a bridge holding hands, okay? And it's like, you know, they're right in the middle of the bridge and there's like this water running underneath. And what happens at the end of the film is Julie and General Grigio hold hands. Mm. And it shows that they're cool again. Their relationship is back. And, and they're both like living, loving family members, which is awesome. But she really teaches him, Julie really teaches our, you know, completely how to live again. You know, um, you know, they go out and then like, again, everything's perfect. I don't know the name of the song, but there's a song about like, you will always see the sun, you know, and it's like while they're driving and it is very exciting. You know, again, at that point, they're, they're not branching out to go to the house, but they're just driving around this runway, which again is kind of like you're not really going anywhere or doing anything. But he is he is learning, you yeah. know, in a very <laughs> jerky way, um, you know, <laughs> he like slams oh, the oh. car into the <laughs> parking space. So he's trying growing pains. Right. Okay. <laughs> They're felt. They're definitely felt. Um, you know, it, it's also now this is interesting with R and Julie. It also speaks to something that, um, you know, is true in life, which is when you meet another person, when you encounter them. Okay, it's like you have a choice. What do I mean by that? Let's say the person that you're talking to is happy and you are in a lousy mood, right? What's going to happen? Are you going to make them feel lousy? Are you going to be happy? Are you going to meet in the middle? Like, you know, it's like I feel that that people just have this this impact on each other because people do want to communicate and they do want to be on the same wavelength and that's back to this whole connection idea Mm -hmm. you know that you know you can be who you are kind of in an isolated place by yourself but when you encounter anyone just about in any way it's going to change you even in this very small incremental way like your mind will change your behavior will change your body will change you'll you know move or think in a way that you might not have if you were by yourself yeah no that's you're absolutely right and it goes back to the speech that you talked about from R, the monologue that he has i need to stand up straighter (laughs) you know it's just like these things that people say to themselves all the time for wellness it's like i need to improve you know i need to well and it's it's not even it's not even just that he wants to do that it's about what people think about him Mm -hmm. because he says people would respect me more (laughs) 
if I stood up straighter. It's like he wants to be thought of well by others, you know. These zombies that he's with at the airport, nobody's going to notice that he's standing up straighter. <laughs> but, you know, this is what he's concerned about. And, you know, I just think that's wonderful. I love it. Well, I love the fact that you're literally dead and still worried about what other people are thinking. Yeah. You know, it's like you cannot escape that. That would be us. Oh, like yes. Zombie us's would definitely still be horrendously self-conscious. Yeah. <laughs> Not a question. Not a question. Yeah. So the other thing that we've got here is... You know, Julie wants to leave, right? She wants to go back to her human settlement, and he doesn't want her to go. And it's because, you know, he has feelings for her, and also because her very presence is helping him. And it, as we talked about earlier, it not only helps him, it literally helps everyone that she comes into contact with. She is the one that's responsible, really, for sparking this this flame of life in these zombies you know yeah. it's like she's able to to have them see oh my god these people are together you know there's that whole team of zombies and they look like they're going to take down julie but then they realize that r and julie are together you know and it, they they are like oh wow you know yeah and, and i mean because and it takes a minute you know for marcus m oh yeah to understand what's going on like he's like eat you know he's like why aren't you he's basically like why aren't you eating this person you know why aren't you doing what you're supposed to do mm-hmm. and he's so confused and he doesn't get it nope and then he does and of course he rides in to save the day yep um and runs down the bonies in like this airport luggage cart or whatever <laughs> and you know comes in and he's like the hero of the moment there well, he also was very much like R's father because, you know, again, let's reference the 90s. Remember the song, Parents Just Don't Understand, right? <laughs> yes. You know, and it's like they, they, it's just like M doesn't get what's going on. You know, there's a scuffle, there's an argument, you know, it, it's it's not without friction. But yeah, they, they do come to this point. And when, you know, M shows up to save the day, and, you know, tells Julie to get on, you know, the, this baggage handler cart, you know. Um, you know, it, he, like, you know, shows that it's okay now. And he's like, I like her, you know. Yeah. And again, it's very much like a parent. It's like finding that acceptance for your partner from your parent. Well, now that makes me really wish that Cordry and Malkovich had a scene together. Because mm. the two dads, but that we were been... robbed of this look i i would it's hard because i i don't want them to re-zombify but i just i i really yeah rob cordry is m is a fantastic performance everybody in this is fantastic number one and that's not just something i'm saying so like oh it's great no every single person in this makes me feel something i do understand them because this movie is all about communication and communication is so important. And a lot of this film, there's a lot of nonverbal communication that needs to happen, particularly when you're dealing with the character of M, Marcus, Rob Cordry. And you know where he's coming from. 
and you're able to get these emotions and these changes without the benefit of dialogue. Things are done through action. You know, it's it's like it's like cavemen, you know, <laughs> finding fire. You know, it's like that type of evolution. So it's a very well done film when you can understand actors when you've stripped away so much in terms of the tools that are used to convey their emotions. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's speaks to the talent here. Yes. Um, and particularly with Rob Corddry, who I think we just think of as like a comic guy. He does a lot of broad stuff. Um, he's really good with this physical acting. Excellent. Um, his face, his eyes, like he is very conscious of what his face is doing. You know, it doesn't mean he doesn't have some funny lines and stuff. Once he starts being able to talk, um, he gets off a couple of good ones. <laughs> sure does. Um, I really love at the end <laughs> when he, you know, sharing the umbrella with the human girl mm -hmm. and he says that she's pretty and then he says, now you're supposed to say I'm pretty too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But he's, and I love the fact that we get a happy ending, that he gets a romance as well. That's what I love about this story is that we get a complete story for everyone. There's no stone left unturned. And it is a happy ending. It's a happy ending through the bleakest of circumstances. Yeah. I mean, it couldn't get more bleak than this. The world has practically ended. Yeah. You know, John Malkovich says that they're like possibly the only humans left. Like, mm -hmm. we don't know what's going on outside of this city. No. We don't know, you know, if there are other settlements. We have no clue. It's like you have to assume that they're the only people left and, you know, that there are zombies everywhere. And so it's really meaningful that this event happens because it kind of doubles their population, you know, basically. Yeah. And it shows you that there's a way back. You know, there's a way back and it will it, it won't be the same world that it used to be. It'll be a kind of a synthesized world where they have been through this experience mm -hmm. and they know what's important. Um, and it's just restorative to humanity. Yeah, I mean, you have like the zombies playing catch, the zombies doing all of these activities. Again, everyone has to completely relearn how to be. And again, it's like people that are in isolation, depression, they haven't been around people. They're completely out of touch. They need to reintegrate yeah. with society. And it's the humans offering time and, and energy and mm -hmm. attention to helping them that really causes that change to happen. Well, and then you have some, you know, R says that he wished that the bonies, you know, they could have given them love and they could have solved it through love. But in the end, they just had to blow them away. Yeah, because there's no way back for them. Mm -mm. They're just too far gone. You know, it, it's a, well, you know, speaking about humans spending time with zombies, it also is like um, when you have, you know, someone who's in the hospital or in hospice and they're unconscious, they're, you know, they're not really fully present, but they can feel your presence. That's, that's what they always tell you. You know, and it's like, you know, even though they may not be awake, they can feel that you're there mm -hmm. and, you know, it's comforting to them. 
And, you know, I've, I've been in a situation where I visited someone in hospice who wasn't conscious and I could tell. Yeah. I could tell that it helped. So it's, it's really smart. It, again, I love it when we see a film that's this smart. I know. Who would have even thought, okay, that this cute movie about zombie guy in love with a human girl based on Romeo and Juliet could really be so complicated yes. when you really dig in. And it is. It's it's very complex. There are multiple layers to this movie. And it's so well put together and so smart that until you kind of... It's like an onion, right? You start, <laughs> you start digging in to the layers and you just start seeing how much is there. And it, it's really surprising. I agree some more of the nonverbal communication that really was heartwarming. I'll use that <laughs> word heartwarming. Like literally. Like literally heartwarming, like an electric blanket on your chest, bro. <laughs> so R, when he's trying to console Julie, he puts his hand on his heart and then he touches Julie's heart. Mm. And it, it's to give her, you know, that, that feeling, to give her that love. And I was like, wow. Again, it, it's nonverbal acting. And it's just done so well. Just the way he touches his heart and then he touches Julie's. And you can tell it, you know, he just wants to help her. And R also learns from Julie, you know, pictures are a thing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can look at old pictures, you know, instead of eating brains. She even takes a photograph of him at one point, yeah. which really startles him. Because, I mean, they're in a house, which is so wild. They, they drive away from the airport, and Julie says she's too cold and needs to sleep somewhere. So they stop in this neighborhood that I believe is one of the last to be evacuated. They knew it was you know, probably okay. And they went in there and they tried to be human. They tried to be a couple, you know, like R is downstairs. He's sitting on the couch, like reading Us magazine. It's another hilarious moment. <laughs> got some article like Kim Kardashian's birthday bash. And it's like, <laughs> what in the hell does he care about this? But he's looking at it anyway. It's like, you know, that's still a little bit of like the zombie part of him, I think. Because the zombies kind of keep going through the motions of being human mm -hmm. um and that's kind of what he's doing here it's funny well again i think this could be another musical reference because he's reading us i think about the pink floyd song us and them mm. okay or two of us Ooh, two by the of Beatles. Us. two of us just the two of us grover washington jr <laughs> yeah this okay see yeah it's i it's all there like all of this reads which i love so after R leaves the house, and this is after he's told Julie that, you know, he killed Perry and she has left and he's kind of doing the sobriety kind of feeling, you know, we hear a song about there are things in life you cannot change, something like that. He eventually runs into M and, you know, M is like, you know. He had these memories and these dreams, and it's so funny. He goes, like, mom and summertime and cream of wheat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, he's so good. He's so good. And so it's like, you know, Cordry and the zombies are like, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're finding that humanity. Yeah, they're changing. They're, they're feeling, 
and they had to get out of there because the bonies were noticing that. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to the idea that the bonies are going to come after anybody with a heartbeat, the zombies are having heartbeat again, you know, so they got to get out of Dodge if they want to be safe. And he tells Ari that the bonies are looking for him. And Julie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a hard moment. And again, this is like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it, I mean, they, again, they do such a good job putting it together. And so R, <laughs> you know, asks the zombies for help through M. So M, it seems, is like your translator. He can speak, you know, English and he can also speak zombie. You know, he can do both. <laughs> yeah. And so M asks them, you know, if, if they'll help. And then M says to R, they said, fuck yeah. Then <laughs> <laughs> they play Rock You Like a Hurricane. You know, you got that guitar going and the zombies are walking. Yeah, and then, like, the zombies are, like, walking in, like, a group. You know, it's in slow motion. Like, the cool people walk, you know. It's like this tough dude gang. You know, and, oh, I love it. It's another great cordry line. And I guess this is probably PG-13, so that's their one F that they get to drop. Wow. And they made it. They made a count. Hey, look, I didn't even know what the rating on this was. That's funny you said it. I, I didn't either, but it's just the fact that it has just the one F word, and it's so strategically deployed. <laughs> kind of made me make an assumption. And I just checked, and it is PG-13. Makes sense. And it is. That is the perfect deployment. That's like a skilled sniper. Yeah. You know? Exactly. I love that. The last thing on Cordry that I want to say, and again, I'm using the word heartwarming, (laughs) because he just makes you feel so good, is when he's proudly saying hello and hi (laughs) to all of the human soldiers. Every single one that passes by him. (laughs) Yeah. He also, there's another scene where I think he's saying, excuse me, to get through the crowd of zombies. I just, he's great. He's so great. And similarly great is Leo Tipton, who plays Nora. Hell yes. They are so good in this part. I can't believe that they started, like, on America's Next Top Model, because I remember seeing them on that show and liking them on that. Mm -hmm. And then when they're in this, they're just so good and so funny and real I just think that they make this movie great. Um, their relationship with the Teresa Palmer, Julie character is so believable. And they kind of have this irreverence about them um, that just is perfect. Like, they're the only person I feel that could stand up to Grigio, you know? Yeah, I mean, when they go in, you feel like they do have a fighting chance. And when you see that Nora pulls a piece... yeah. On General Grigio, you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, I just love the humor that Leo Tipton brought to that role. And just really, it just made it so good. And, you know, shows you that that's something that Julie does have. Like, she does have that best friend connection. So, just like, you know, R has M, and they have their connection julie has nora and and that's part of what like keeps her going keeps her human you know whereas we see other people like losing their humanity like perry or like grigio nora just has life in her like her 
this the character is just full of life that that's that's perfect that's the perfect way to put it and the character of the nurse in Romeo and Juliet is a character that I remember reading in high school and I didn't have any problem with the nurse I was like okay cool but when I actually saw the nurse in performance I understood just how important how wonderful that role is there's a lot there well and that character is super supporting of Juliet right so yes. You know, just the way that Mercutio and Romeo are, like, bros for life or whatever. You have the nurse, who really is the only friend that Juliet has, and, you know, supports her. She, you know, tries to look after her. She, you know, cares about her in a parental kind of way in the play. Um, and also just realizes that Juliet is a, is a young girl you know, mm -hmm. and accepts her as who she is yeah. in a way that her parents don't. And that's exactly what we see here with Nora. Like, Nora accepts Julie. Nora reminds Julie of her own humanity. You know, Nora has an attitude in this world that she knows that things are bad, but she's not going to let it get her down. And, I mean, that just makes Nora really one of my favorite characters in this. That's what you need. You need people in this world that can still keep their head up when everything is hard. Because it's very easy when things are tough to just say, oh, this sucks. It's terrible. But to stay positive, to keep hoping, that's that, That's what everyone needs. Yeah. You and, know? I mean, in addition to that, you know, we have a great love story here, right? Between R and Julie. But we also have great friendship stories between R and M and Nora and Julie. Those relationships are, I would argue, just as important to this movie as the central love relationship is. Because, you know, even in the darkest times, these people had those friends, you know. And that's what brought them through the darkness to find each other. And that's what, you know, kind of galvanizes this love revolution that changes the whole world. Yeah. This is just a really quick thing that I just want to throw in as a, as a last minute bit that was very funny. Which was when they were going out on the supply run with Julie and Nora and Perry. Written on the wall of one of the buildings is, Welcome to the dead zone. Look alive out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like a piece of graffiti on the wall. <laughs> like you get the this is another place where you like get the sense again yes the humans are still technically alive but they're not living a life they're they're just trying to survive and there's a difference and they're proud and they want their appearance to look alive <laughs> like they're doing well you know <laughs> look alive they're flourishing i found that to be like a tongue-in-cheek thing that somebody was saying like oh we're probably going to be all be dead anyway <laughs> Um, because it was written like, in, it was kind of spray painted on the wall, not like an official message, but like a punk kind of message. So, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. This is a really good zombie movie and a really good romantic comedy type of movie. And I think they did such a good job bringing it together because they had this organization and framework that they were using and the layers that they were able to build in. And then the acting, it's just one of those things again where, you know, we talk a lot about what makes a great comfort movie. And one of the things usually for us is hope. Oh, yeah. There's hope, you know, for miles in this movie. It's full of hope. 
Um, and then another thing is just that capturing of lightning in a bottle where everything just comes together so well from the actors to the script to the art direction and the you know symbolism in this that you were able to pull out was so rich and various you know there's so many different things it's it's really good visual storytelling and I'm impressed with that you know when we kind of decided to do this movie I wasn't bargaining for this you know what I mean <laughs> yeah so it was a really great surprise to rewatch this and to get so much out of it well, this is a movie that we came to late. This was something where we always wanted to see it at the movie theater. And either we didn't feel like it or it didn't work out. And it was like, yeah, whatever. And then, you know, we saw it later. And when we did see it finally, we were so impressed with it. It's nothing that ever left my mind. You know, Nicholas Holt, again, fantastic actor. You know, everything that he's in. But this love story he has with Teresa Palmer is so strong and yeah. that's what you need in Romeo and Juliet is you need to believe that it is this perfect love and I do believe that they are a perfect match yeah star-crossed like it has to feel star-crossed like faded mm -hmm. like it was supposed to happen and you definitely definitely have that here yeah it's just like there's no other way that it could be they have so many obstacles in their way and they're able to overcome them all it's great it's a great movie. It makes me feel really good because, you know, everyone has times in their life when they're sad and they feel like, oh, man, I don't know how this is going to work out. This is a film that takes the bleakest circumstance, you know, and it shows you that someone has hope at the very beginning in spite of everything around him telling him not to have it. And it works out better than he ever could have imagined. It's wonderful. I love it. All right. Well, that was uh, episode 67, Warm Bodies. Thanks for joining us. That was our third week of Love and Romance Month. And next week, we're going to be wrapping that month up with the movie Slumdog Millionaire and our special guest, our friend, Wayne Cardwell. So we're looking forward to discussing that movie, and we hope you'll join us then. Until then. Stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody.